Good morning, church. My name is John Gwynn. I'm one of the elders, and I want to welcome you today. I'm excited. We're going to be talking from Ephesians chapter 2. Let's take a minute to pray together. Father, I thank you for your love, for your grace for us. I pray that you'd help this morning me to preach your word. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness for us. And we put this time in your hands. I pray that you'd open everyone's heart to hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're speaking from Ephesians chapter 2. And the big idea from this section of, of Scripture, it's chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, is that Paul is reminding us of how we were dead in our sin and depravity before God poured out his grace on us because of his great love for us. But it doesn't stop there. That's not the end of it. God has a plan for us as his handiwork. We're called in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You know, the book of Ephesians is a really unique book because Paul has an opportunity here when he's writing this letter. He finally had a chance to speak the gospel from a mountaintop perspective. He didn't have to deal with squabbling in the church like in so many of the other epistles, or issues of sin, or doctrinal error, like he did in so many other letters. Now Paul has this opportunity to stand on the peak of the mountain, to give us a 360-degree panoramic perspective of God's grace freely given to us through the gospel. You know, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity, but if you've ever hiked up a mountain, there are certain points along the way where you can look out and you can see a nice view, but there's nothing like that mountaintop experience when you can gaze all around and see God's beauty. We get the opportunity to gaze on the beauty of the promise of God's gospel. We were saved by grace in God who treats us much better than we deserve. This is the news that's almost too good to be true. And this is how good the good news can be. You know, you've heard a lot over the last few weeks, Chris and Frank have talked about the indicative and the imperative. The New Testament uses indicative statements when discussing what God has done, is doing, or will do. Imperative statements are used when saying what we should do in response to what God has done. This passage in chapter 2 of Ephesians, 
It's a prime example of what God has done for us through his grace and what our response should be to that grace. Chuck Swindoll says this. Paul divided his letter to the Ephesians into two clear segments. Applying the truths of the first makes possible the actions and lifestyle of the second. We're going to break down this passage of Scripture today into three distinct parts. The first is where we were before God's grace, which is the indicative. We're stating facts of where we were. And secondly, what God did for us through his grace, which is also referring to the indicative, referring to the things that God has done for us. And thirdly, what are we going to do about it? That's the response. That's the imperative. What are we going to do with what God has done for us? What is our response to what God has done for us? So let's start with that first point. Where we were before God's grace. Ephesians 2.1 starts it and couldn't be more blunt in how Paul says it. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Paul doesn't pull any punches with this statement. He reminds us of who we are without God. He talks about being dead in your transgressions. And I want to take a minute to actually talk about what that means. Dead in our sins, what does that mean? What Paul meant by dead in our transgressions and sins, he speaks, he could have been speaking about people being dead in sin. He could have been saying, without Christ, we live in a state of sin that in the life to come, produces death of our souls. That idea of the afterlife. But I believe Paul is not just talking about the life to come. He's talking about the present life. He's talking about what we're doing right now, how we're living our life right now. The present life and the death that sin can produce in our everyday lives. There's several different ways that sin can cause death in our daily lives that we're living today. The first is that sin kills our innocence. Sin kills our innocence. No one is the same after they've sinned. It may not be in our conscience memory, but everything we've ever done, everything we've ever saw or heard is buried in our subconscious memories. 
the result is that sin can leave a permanent effect on us. Sin also kills our ideals. Sin kills our ideals. Ephesians 2, 3 says this. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. A quote from William Barclay puts it this way. In the lives of so many, there is a kind of tragic process. At first, a man regards some wrong thing with horror. The second stage comes when he's tempted into doing it. But even as he does it, he's still unhappy and ill at ease and very conscious that it's wrong. The third stage is when he has done the thing so often that he does it without a qualm. Each sin makes the next sin easier. Sin kills our ideals. And lastly, in the end, sin kills the will. Another quote from William Barclay says this. In the end, sin kills the will. At first, a man engages in some forbidden pleasure because he wants to do it. In the end, he engages in it because he cannot help doing it. So, once a thing becomes a habit, it is not far from being necessity. When a man has allowed some habit, some indulgence, some forbidden practice to master him, he becomes its slave. So I think that's what Paul is referring to when he's referring to death from sin. He's referring to how much in our present lives death can just destroy us. It can ruin us. It can bring death to us. Secondly, let's take a look at what God did in response to our sin, in response to the place of depravity that we were in. We spent some time looking at how lost we were without him. Now in verse 4 of chapter 2, Paul makes a pivot from where we were to what God has done for us with the bold statement, but God. I love this transition. It makes such a bold statement. Yes, we were lost in sin, but God. Ephesians 4, excuse me, 2, 4 to 6, he says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love 
with which he loves us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God begins Paul's contrast between the lies of unbelievers, including Christians, before they were saved, and the lives of believers in Christ. Verse 1 to 4 proclaims our guilt and sinful, corrupt state and nature. And verse 4 changes everything with the statement, but God... We were dead in our sins, but God. We were, you followed the ways of this world, but God. Gratified the cravings of your flesh, but God. We were by nature deserving of wrath, but God. The contrast between sinful nature of man and the redeeming, redeemed man covered by his grace is an astonishing contrast. The difference between those two groups of people is God, it's not us. Paul doesn't say, but then we... No, he only refers to the power of his grace in the but God. The difference between our unsaved and saved conditions is clearly not based on human effort, but according to God's mercy and love in our lives. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's like he's saying to us, by the way, just in case you forgot where you came from, we had nothing to boast about. It wasn't about us. It was all God. You know, if you've been a Christian for a while, sometimes it's easy to slip into that false premise that we had something to do with where God has brought us. I'd like you to take some time to actually reflect on that, to think about it. Have you slipped into believing that? Have you slipped into believing that we had something to do with the place that God's brought us? Have we forgotten about the place of depravity that God has saved us from? I'd like you to take that time, to take a few minutes today and actually contemplate that, to think about that and ask him to remind you about what he's done and how it's all about him. And if you just actually become aware of your sin and you're not 
you're starting to feel that pull of God's grace on your life, on your heart, as you hear God's word being spoken today. I want to encourage you to actually reach out in the comments as you're listening to this and ask for prayer. There are plenty of people there that are there to help you. So, so far, we've looked at where we were before God's grace and what God did through his grace to us and for us. Now, we're going to shift to the imperative, the what should we do. So, point three is that. What are we going to do about it? God has not poured his grace into us, not just for our sake. It's not just for us. He wants us to take what we've been freely given and freely give it to others. God has a plan for us all along. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 talks about that. And it says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And further in verse 10 he says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which is prepared in advance for us. Which is prepared in advance for us. Think about that. God had a plan before he saved us. God had a plan before we even conceived of his grace for us. He wants us to share with others the grace he freely gave to us. Let me say that again. He wants to use us to share with others the grace he freely gave to us. Ephesians 10 says, we are created to do good works. If you've been following Christ for some time, I'd like you to search your heart today. I'd like you to answer this question. Have you been fulfilling the good works that God has prepared for you to do? Have you been fulfilling the good works that God has prepared for you to do? Does God's presence feel alive in you today like it did when you first believed in him? Or does your faith feel like a glimmer, like a trickle of what it was in the past? God has been challenging me with the same question. He's been stirring this question up in my heart. 
So I'd like us to take some time to look at that. What we're doing with the grace that's been freely given to us. Are we holding on to it or letting it flow? Letting it flow through us to others. The more we hold on to God's grace given to us, the more that our faith can die. If we don't let God's grace flow through us, we become dead and his grace can die in, in us. John 7.38 says this, he who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost beings will flow rivers of living water. You know, around a week or so ago as I was preparing this message, I like to go on hikes, I like to go on prayer walks and just talk to God and be in nature. So as I was preparing the message, I was taking a hike in Rehoboth. And this particular trail, there's a river that runs along the side of the trail. And this is a place that Ann and I actually go to quite often. And we were there uh, earlier in the spring, and the river um, was just flowing freely. It was, it was cool, clear water from the spring melt and was pouring down this beautiful brook through the woods. And as I went walking on the trail this past week, um, I took a picture because God started to speak to me about it. And this picture that uh, you'll see here is a picture of this trail as it was being dried out. It was actually stagnant water. In the springtime, the water was flowing free, freely through here. I don't know if you can tell by the image, but the water was stagnant and there was a layer of slime on top of it and it stunk. And there was nothing about it that was pleasurable. And God started to talk to me about it. He started to speak to me about this water as I thought about how this water looked earlier in the spring when the water was flowing and how it looked now. This is a, a picture of that same body of water that I took earlier this year and you can see the water is clear. It's flowing freely. Maybe it's been a long time since that cool spring water flowed in your life. Looking back, does it seem like your relationship with Christ was alive and vibrant? Once again, I'd like you to take some time to look at what you've done with the grace that God's given, with that gift that God provided to you, gave to you freely. Take a look at what you've done with it with God's grace, given to us with the responsibility of allowing God's love and grace to flow through us. That's God's expectation for us. He wants us to not hold on to it. He wants us to share it. He wants us to let it flow 
freely out of us. As I was thinking about this, as I was walking on the trail, I looked further down the river and there were rocks that were just kind of stopping the water from continuing to flow down. And God started to talk to me about what rocks I may have been putting in my life to stop the flow of God's grace flowing through me. Have we built a dam in our hearts to God's grace? Is the water of our lives alive with the flea-flowing water as we pour it out of our lives, all that God has poured into us? Or have we allowed it, the water, to become stagnant? The rocks in that little dam area can be many different things. And I'd like to ask you today, as I've been thinking about this, about what my rocks are, I want to take some time and ask you today to think about what those rocks are in your life. If you've been holding back, giving out God's grace, if you've been holding back, letting that free-flowing, life-giving water of God's grace to other people, those rocks could be the worries of the world. These are just a few of the things I was thinking of. The busyness of our lives, the fear that holds us back, the distractions, the busyness of life that surrounds us. Let's ask God what rocks we built up in our hearts that stop his grace from flowing from us? Have we been responsible stewards of his grace? Have we been representatives of God's love in a way that we truly should be? As I thought about this, I thought, you know, maybe it's time to do a reset on my heart. Maybe it's time to go back to when the water flowed freely, purely and cleanly through our hearts. Let's examine those rocks that we may have placed in the river of God's love for us and stop the flow of God's grace to those around us. God's poured his grace into us, not just for our sake. It's not just for us, church. But for the sake of those around us. He wants us to share with others the grace that he has freely shared with us. Let me say that again. He wants to use us to share with others the grace that he has freely, freely shared with us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are patient with us. I thank you that, Lord, in spite 
of our shortcomings in spite of the areas that we've allowed ourselves to be distracted, or we've allowed ourselves to let fear come into our hearts, or to let busyness come into our lives. Father, you are patient with us, you're gracious with us, and I pray that today, as we take time to consider what areas we need to change, to consider what areas we've held back your grace today. Lord, send your Holy Spirit and touch our hearts. Give us your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.